Today is August 18th, and I want to say welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet, north of the border the Siksika, Gunai, and Bigani of the Confederacy. These lands are now on Treaty 7, which was signed in 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations, and then the Sutina. We acknowledge that all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, and other nations across Turtle Island are keepers of this land. And I also want to acknowledge uh, status and non-status. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that it can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share what I think I know as I walk my own red road. My name is Michelle Robinson. My spirit name is Red Thunder Woman. I was born Michelle Elliott, another very English-sounding name which has afforded me incredible privilege in a colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, and my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellowknife Dene. My father is so Canadian that I'm the daughter of a Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. I was also born in Calgary. But why acknowledging my lineage and where I was born matters is that even though I'm native and even though I was born here in Calgary, my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My indigenous nation still roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people and Treaty 11. I'm native to Turtle Island and my nation is a visitor to the area of Clincho Tinne Indahe or Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede in my language of Dene. My cousins are Sutina. Uh, Patreon account is Native Calgarian. I'd love uh, pledges and supports if you can. So I want to thank Kenna, Sharon, Diana, Judy, and Nathan for signing up. I really appreciate it. If you have any questions, thoughts, comments, nativeyyc at gmail.com, or you can send me a tweet or a Facebook message. Um, Violence against Indigenous people is just my daily reality. Every generation has faced it. Uh, This is why I started this podcast, was to be able to freely speak without interruption, without tone policing, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't really want to hear my opinion and sure want to tell me theirs. Uh, More by people who know nothing about Indigenous people as well. They know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. Uh, People that are gatekeepers that survive off the status quo or people who are uh, still dealing deeply within their trauma and uh, deplete the resources. Internal and external racism is an every single day reality for Indigenous people. I sadly needed a podcast for a boundary and here we are. Uh, My hope is my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of me trying to discuss these present day issues in a way that everyone will understand. Um... Yeah, so boy, it, it's so funny. I um I talk about uh external racism. You know, there are days I really try not to talk about racism, I promise. Um I went to Callaway Park the other day with my little girl and you know, we were it was so hot. It's been really hot and muggy here in Calgary lately. Um we've been uh you know, sitting around uh trying to deal with the heat and bought ourselves frozen lemonade. It was so yummy some popcorn. So we got our salt and our sugar and, you know, just relaxing in the shade. And there was another gentleman that was there. And, you know, you try to just have nice conversation with people. And immediately, you know, he was bringing up uh, 
how West Edmonton Mall is not a safe place anymore. And he said a bunch of racial slurs about people from Hobima. And he said Hobima, not Masquachis. Um and obviously non-Indigenous. And it, it was awful because, you know, every single day I would love to fight every battle, but I can't. And I just wanted to sit there and relax with my daughter. So I just kind of smiled and, you know, was kind and polite and left by saying, oh, thank you for the conversation. Um, but it's just so awful. And, you know, for my daughter to hear that and for him to feel so comfortable saying it to me, it was awful. And that's where that internalized racism is, where it's like you will never get a fair shake when you don't even bring up Indigenous people, but somebody else brings it up to you in a super negative way. Um, so that's, again, why, you know, I've talked about it in the past. I'll say it again. You need to have cultural safety in action in order to create safer places for Indigenous people to speak. You know, um, having good intention is not enough. You have to take action to make that change. You have to speak out against racism, ask questions to those who are understanding, find the allies, create a support system for yourself. And sadly, my podcast is part of that. Um, but you need to advocate for culturally safe approaches um, for non-Indigenous. You know, take responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, ask questions. Do not expect this learning to come from Indigenous people, although many of us just give it so freely. Um, take time for self-reflection. Be aware of your own assumptions and biases. Question everything that you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt the stereotypes. And then lastly, commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. And if you ever want to Google it, you'll find lots of information about cultural safety and Indigenous issues and understanding colonialism, understanding decolonization. So I just really implore uh, non-Indigenous Canadians to start uh, putting together policies on cultural safety. So... Uh, I want to thank my previous guest, Ashley, from the Scoton Chronicles for coming on to my show. Uh, we posted it, and I'd love to hear your feedback on that. Um, yeah, so lots of things have happened in a short amount of time, and I, I don't know if I'll be able to touch it all, sadly. <laughs> There's so much going on. So I think I'm going to start uh, by playing a clip. I was interviewed by the CTV Calgary Um because the federal government is um, putting together consultation for the statutory holiday when it comes to uh, acknowledging Indian residential schools. So with that, I'll play. The federal government is planning to mark the painful legacy of residential schools with a new statutory holiday. Local Indigenous groups say it's a meaningful step toward reconciliation, and many Canadians agree. But a group representing small business owners wonders if there is a better way to make the day significant without such a heavy price. Jacqueline Brown explains. It's a painful part of Michelle Robinson's family history. I have family that survived Indian residential school. I get to know that history through my own family, but a lot of Canadians will never have that. It's history she shares with thousands of Indigenous families across Canada. And now the federal government is planning a stat holiday to mark the painful legacy of residential schools. Well, I think it's really important that we start acknowledging Indigenous um, as part of Canada. And to have a stat to start commemorating that, I think is incredibly important. <laughs> 
The idea is one of 94 calls to action from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Consultations with Indigenous groups are now underway. The date could be June 21st, National Indigenous Peoples Day, or September 30th, already observed as Orange Shirt Day. It's progress, but John Fisher at the Aniskam Centre says there's other issues at play. There is still a continuation of things that need to have happen, particularly around 60 scoop survivors, intergenerational trauma, the gaps that Indigenous people experience. Small businesses say there's something else to consider, the cost. Labour laws introduced this year mean employees will be paid on stat holidays, even if they don't work. It's of course important to recognize these important milestones and mark our history, um, but we do have to think about how small business owners might have to mitigate this kind of uh, move towards a stat holiday. Many Calgarians agree it's long overdue and should also focus on education. I think that's important to recognize it. That's a big step to recognize it with a holiday. That's not doing enough. There has to be some activities, some shows, whatever, just inf getting information out there somehow to the public. Jacqueline Brown, CTV News, Calgary. So for the proposed stat to be recognized nationwide, each province and territory would have to change their laws. We reached out to the Alberta Labour Minister to see if this would become a mandatory stat in our province, but so far have not heard back. Yeah, so... You know, it's interesting that they have already asked the, uh, you know, Alberta NDP for, you know, that conversation of whether or not, um, you know, it's going to be a thing when clearly the federal government actually hasn't even done the consultation and decided yet if it will become um, either the 21st or the uh, um, September 30th, which is already known. So I found that interesting, but um, I was really shocked at the way CTV framed that even. Uh, a lot of the conversation that we had was obviously not included because you can only do so many clips. Apparently the, uh, you know, every single episode that they did was a little different, whether it was at five or six or uh, 11. Uh, I didn't get to see them all. I, that was the only one I had seen. But, um, you know, I, I was really shocked that uh, they framed it in a way about, well, what about small business? Um, so I thought I'd start by just saying, okay, call to action 80 is we call upon the federal government in collaboration with Indigenous people to establish as a statutory holiday a national day for truth and reconciliation to honour the survivors, their families and communities and ensure that that public commemoration of the history and the legacy of Indian residential schools remain a vital component of the reconciliation process. So this day is literally to honour reconciliation. Um, yeah, I, so when I first seen the clip and I seen that it was in regards to, um, small business and their needs, I, w I was pretty upset. I was like, uh, you know, obviously they don't know when they're interviewing me how they're going to frame it, but we never had a single conversation about, uh, small business. So I, I did tweet out that I was disappointed that after benefiting from the land, after benefiting from the Indian Act embedded in the Constitution, and after benef benefiting from economic development of these lands, um, that for non-Indigenous, acknowledging the wrong pass of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was just too much for small business owners. Um, you know, Calgary just recently was rated one of the best places to live. But it's too much sacrifice for non-Indigenous after all of that benefit. I just bull, I said, because it obviously is so insulting to, 
you know, the cultural genocide to the amount of people that there are graves around every one of these schools. Um, you know, you had a better chance of surviving World War II than you did Indian residential schools. So I was pretty offended that they would even frame it in that way at all. Um, I think, you know, small business, obviously, we need to talk about, you know, the small concept of policy. But if we're talking about a bigger concept of genocide, uh, cultural genocide, and the benefit that Canadians have long had on the backs of Indigenous people, it was pretty freaking insulting to see it framed in that way. So yeah, I was pretty um, upset at that. And, you know, when we had spoke, it was just solely focusing on, you know, the positive part of of the call to action being implemented. Uh, that's what I had focused on. Um, when they had interviewed John Fisher, I was really pleased to see them try to acknowledge that there's so much more to do. I mean, number 80 is one out of 94 calls to action. And I mean, there's over 400 recommendations in the Royal Commission for Aboriginal Peoples to still be implemented. These things uh, need to be talked about, need to be implemented, need to be discussed. And uh, yeah, I'm still surprised that people didn't understand the gravity of what what it is we're talking about, what we're so quick to condemn it. really awful things said to the federal government um, for even suggesting that we need to have this. And clearly, people don't know about the calls to action, don't know about, um, you know, the bigger picture of in, in Indian residential school, or the bigger picture at all of cultural genocide. And uh, I just, uh, I know people are racist, I, I get it. But man, I wish I could possibly explain how painful it is to hear people say that. Um, because that's my people. You know, I was lucky enough to have a conversation with my husband and we, we were talking about how nobody would ever say the words to, you know, a Jewish person who survived the Holocaust that, you know, well, we got to mitigate these, um, nuances for small businesses. Like that wouldn't even be a discussion, but for indigenous people in Canada, in the racist colonial world we live in, it's still a thing. And I'm just shocked that, you know, business would, or uh, CTV would even frame it in that way that, well, what about small business? Well, what about cultural genocide? Um, and, and what about all of the other calls to action that still need to be done? And, um, you know, and, and what about personal responsibility of all non-Indigenous people? Um, they've done some uh, outreach to other people and asked them their opinion. And there was a, a wonderful uh, gentleman who said, uh, this isn't enough. Like there needs to be not just a day off, but, you know, conversations and seminars and, and such on that day so that we can talk about those issues. And, you know, of course I couldn't agree more. Um, I'm just going to do a small plug for 12 community safety initiatives, the nonprofit I work for on Monday is our, uh, our book club. It's free, open to the public. Anyone is welcome. And, uh, we're just going to be focusing on the child welfare component of the TRC. Um, you know, there's so much conversation to have about reconciliation. And I know other people are still going to want to discuss Chelsea Vowell's book that we did from last month. So two hours goes by so quick. And like, these are committed people that come to my book club that, um, you know, spend two hours uh, once a month talking about reconciliation, and obviously spending more time reading the books. And um, yeah, I just wish that there was an understanding 
that this, this is that work that needs to be done. And I have a great community of people doing that. And um, I actually going to be working with Calgary Public Library now about publishing that uh, in their, in their newsletter. We're over two years strong doing that. And you know, there's still so much work to be done. And, and my small book club is nothing in comparison to the bigger picture of Canada. We need small book clubs in every facet of the city. We need small book clubs all across the country so that people have a fuller understanding of what it is we're talking about and those nuances. And even for me to be talking about this, a lot of people, uh, you know, they need to hear things seven times before they learn something. So hearing it with me once, twice, it might be somebody else who says it that third, second, fourth time that it more resonates. And that's why I wanted to start this podcast too, was just to get all of that conversation going and out there and hoping people would give me, you know, some positive, constructive feedback. Um, as it turns out, I had um, a colleague of mine say, oh, well, I listened to your podcast and, you know, 90% of it I had already heard you say so, you know, uh, yeah, and he just kind of left it at that. And it dawned on me um, then when I went over to see my, my Canadian family and, and they said, uh, hey, what's your podcast about? I said, well, I guess it's about nothing because for people who know me and people who talk to me directly, then, you know, this is the conversation I have every single day um, about everything. Unfortunately, you know, no constructive questions really came from, hey, would you discuss, uh, I don't know, Calgary Olympics or whichever. I'd love to discuss a million things. So I will focus on on subjects if people are willing to email me or call me or tell me that, um, you know, I really want to understand the nuances of this subject with you. So please uh, email me, tweet me, whatever you would like to do about that. So, yeah, basically, I just had to go through everybody's tweets that were on Facebook talking about the TRC and the call to action for 50. And I, I was, um, yeah, I was pretty, pretty shocked, pretty surprised um, by, by some of it. So I'm just going to do some plugs here for some other things that were really important to me. Um, I was really lucky to be one of the founders of the Canadian Cultural Mosaic uh, Foundation. I was approached by the people now running it and, and it was wonderful to, you know, promote this, but, um, have since moved on. Obviously we're all busy and they have so much great things going on. And one of the great things that they have going on is, uh, they're going to be doing some panel discussions about language and decoding language. So on Friday, August 24th at 6:30 at community wise, they're going to have a panel discussion talking about, you know, um, ableism, ageism, heterosexism, racism, sex, uh, all of the isms that you can think of. Um, they're going to have Garrett Smith. He is uh, down in uh, the city of Calgary here at the Calgary Courts in a teepee. Um, Mokinstis is the healing camp, he's calling it. And uh, he's going to be talking about indigenous issues so that's going to be really positive to have some colonial per or i guess decolonial perspective there so i definitely want to encourage that a friend of mine jackie she's going to be uh talking on behalf of voices and voices uh is a two-spirit and queer people of color in the city and our and chosen allies which i'm um, honored to be a part of 
lots of other conversations about inclusion. And I just really promote that because I think if people don't even know what these terms are, then, um, you know, we're not going to get anywhere. And even for myself, I'm going down this road and constantly apologizing for my language. Um, ableism was something that I just never, it was just wasn't on my radar. And the more people I got to know, the more, um, you know, it, the irony being when I was young, I was always talk, told about, you know, Indigenous people and their, and, and these issues. And I, um, the way it was presented was obviously very negative. So I, I read a lot about health issues and uh, mental health issues and such. And, um, you know, it wasn't ever told in a colonial, well, it was always told in a colonial framework and it was never expressed in a, in a positive way when it came to indigenous people. So it was something I was really ashamed about. So um, even the road of ableism has been my own journey. Um, heterosexism, you know, I'm married with, with, uh, one spouse and in, in a, in a monogamous relationship and <laughs> so much that I take for granted. And it wasn't until, um, you know, my, I have transgender cousins. I have, uh, an aunt who's gay and seeing some of the struggles that they have to go through just because, you know, uh, the world is set up in this way. Racism, obviously, every day. Sexism is an everyday thing for me. But talking about it in a way other people will hear, I get excited about these types of panels uh, because then I get to maybe hear what I know in a different way that maybe will resonate with other people. So really grateful to the Canadian Cultural Mosaic Foundation for doing that great work. Um, yeah, so it, I was um, really taken aback by some of the tweets about this uh, call to action. But I was also really excited about some of the other things that people said about it. Um, and like Max, Maxim Bernay, he said some awful things that were ridiculous. But the people that tweeted back to him, that gave me a lot of hope that this reconciliation concept is something that Canadians are, are pretty serious about. And um, I guess serious in the sense that they, they recognize it. Action, of course, is a different matter. So, you know, if you are non-Indigenous and you are struggling on what reconciliation looks like, I'd love to hear from you because we can't uh, change this conversation unless you tweet out to us or, or email us and let us know what part of this conversation is, you know, difficult in some way, shape or form. Um, so speaking of, of difficult conversations... There's a lot of stuff going down in Cardston and it it's awful because I, I know that the Blood Tribe has been talking about these issues forever and that our activists down there have been talking about these issues forever and only now is it starting to make some headlines. Like I would argue it wasn't until 2016 that a lot of news outlets said, yeah, I guess we don't really cover Indigenous people, their stories, and certainly not positive things. So now we're starting to see a bit of a shift. I mean, it's 2018, so it's only been, you know, a year and a half of it. But um, the Star did a good um, article about the recent recent cases of um, anti-Indigenous racism in Cardston and talked about, you know, A&W issues and 
um, there's a camp that's down there as well, a peace camp that uh, is talking about, you know, child welfare issues, racism issues. And they're now going to be working on documenting some of that, those racist instances. I mean, Kurtzton is a super small, tiny town. And, um, you know, I, I seen a tweet recently from a non-Indigenous person who is from Cardston saying how incredibly afraid of natives she was. And thank God the security were able to escort her home. And, you know, she, the way she talked, it was that she's living in this ultimate fear of Indigenous people. And it really hurts to hear people say that about Indigenous people at all. And in my case, a lot of those people down there are my friends. So to hear anybody say those negative things about my friends, I just... What kind of sheltered life do you live that you are that afraid of your neighbors? You know, um, one of the reasons why I ran for uh, City of Calgary was to talk about community, community building, inclusion, you know, those conversations. Uh, it, it's bigger than just Indigenous, non-Indigenous. It's, of course, Muslim community, the Black community. I've been talking about the racism we've all faced, talked about Islamophobia for years. Uh, really blessed to have good friends all across all these different cultures. Um, and yet here we are still not having community between two uh, groups of people in Cardston. You know, there just needs to be more, like if there was a place that there needed to be a book club, it is definitely in Cardston. <laughs> so if you know of a book club that's happening there, I'd love to hear about it. But if there isn't one, here's a kind of a challenge to those out in Cardston. Could you maybe consider a book club? Just a book club. It's not a lot, just something to, you know, start working on trying to understand each other because it. no one should live in fear in their house. But some of those fears are really unwarranted. Um you know, I can talk about the amount of Indigenous women that have been killed here in the city of Calgary. And I can talk about a few of them who have been killed by the police. So my fear towards Indigenous, or uh, my fear as an Indigenous woman towards police is pretty legit. It's not like, you know, something that I'm making up. Like, there's so much documentation of, of these issues. So anyway, um, you know, just a shout out to Cardston maybe consider having some conversations about reconciliation. Uh, the public servants maybe could have helped quell this poor, innocent woman's, you know, worries a little more. Who knows? So anyway, uh, I came across and I shared a really good article about combating um, anti-Indigenous racism by becoming an ally. You know, it, I would argue, compared to some of the wonderful pieces that the Black community have put out uh, towards um, issues towards Canada, the U.S., and the Black community, you know, it, it's pretty gentle, frankly, this one about anti-Indigenous racism and being an ally. And, you know, I guess it just says a lot about the differences in, in our culture, but I'm, at the same time, it says a lot about this author who was just trying to say, hey... You know, we can we can do this education in a lot more inclusive way um, and and talked a little bit about what is a non-ally and specifically the fence sitter position. Um, that is somebody who just sits on the fence, has the potential to do more, but just doesn't. Um, and that how that's not being an ally at all. Um, you know, so she talks a little further about education and participation 
and uh, aligning with fellow allies so that that way other people know who is an ally that they can talk to and start working with Um, because we have to do better. There's no, you know, nice way to do it. If I can't go to Callaway Park without having one guy talk to me about, you know, Indigenous in a negative way and these issues in Cardston are happening and Garrett has to be downtown Calgary you know, we have to do better. We have to start doing a lot more work together. This isn't just a federal government needs to make a stat holiday. This is a bigger picture where we all need to be working together about that. And, you know, when I say Canadian, I'm not just talking about the white community. There's a brown community, Chinese community. There's a lot of communities that are out there that need to be a part of this. Um, I was recently having a conversation with a friend of mine and he was saying, you know, he had no idea about Indigenous issues at all. And it wasn't until Justin Trudeau kept tr- challenging them to all, all of the people that are in Ottawa and all the MPs, all the staff, that he was like, oh, I didn't even know this was a thing. And I didn't realize it was so ugly either. And, um, you know, so it it does take leadership, like, you know, our prime minister being an actual ally of promoting Indigenous issues and education into his own people that helps a lot. Um, so anyway, just planting that seed of, of empathizing with marginalized communities. Obviously, these are things and, and we need to go um, with. And, you know, in the article, she said something about, you know, that there's a big difference that people need to understand about being racist and doing a racist thing. And I think that's what it is. Like this gentleman I was talking to at Callaway Park, like, all of the other racist issues I've ever come across, I know the people aren't like bad people. I just know they just don't understand racism. So because of that, they're saying really racist things that ultimately hurt, you know, people's self-esteem, people's empathy, all of those issues and perpetuating fear and falsehoods that, that isn't, it's harmful. It's, it's um, making things worse, not better. So I just, Really want people to pay attention to their language if they're an ally. Um, read some information out there. It's so easy. Um, to me, it's easy. I don't understand why it's so difficult, um, why we're having this. Uh, another article I came across, Indigenous mothers seven times more susceptible to postpartum depression. Uh, they did a study and 33% of Indigenous respondents experience depression after birth compared to only 5.6% of non-Indigenous. Well, I did not find that surprising one bit because for full disclosure, I had depression after I had my baby. Um, I really had to deal with the amount of racism that was in the delivery room, let alone um, the bigger picture of my past and some of the traumas that were, that came from that. Um, it's well documented the amount of racism indigenous people face in the medical community and um, that's not dealt with so of course that's going to lead to a lot of this higher number not to mention colonialism not to mention you know all of the barriers that are stacked against us food poverty um, trauma all these issues are are related and you know if you're living on a res and there's not the economic opportunities that are, are available that are off res. I mean, these are really sad things that you have to consider leaving your own community and your family and your resources, your support system in order to get resources. If you have any issues at all, um, 
with health or economic uh, circumstances. And I've said this before, I'll say it again, that the Indian Act is the perfect model of imposed poverty on a group of people. It was meant to do that. It was meant to um, create a situation where people did not want to stay on the reserves when they were allowed to leave. And that is so awful because first of all, we were forced to go to reservations as opposed to, um, or reserves instead of being allowed to roam freely like every other Canadian. And we had to go through the pass system and on all these awful um, policies that were imposed upon us. And then the idea of leaving the res in order to, you know, have, uh, you know, education, uh, jobs, whichever, I mean, it's, this shouldn't be such a barrier, but it has been because of that historical legacy, that trauma of uh, systemic imposed um, neighborhoods. So, you know, for me personally, I'd, I've been reading a lot about uh, community building land development and um, especially in the states where they purposely segregated the uh, blacks. Well, they also did the same thing on reservations with the indigenous. And here in Canada, they did the same thing with the Chinese, segregated them out, as well as the indigenous, obviously, be, us being forced on res. So for me, when we talk about community building within a municipality, it's just such a different conversation. And I look at community building with such a different lens than I know my counterparts do, which is part of the reason why I ran. Um, and we're not having those conversations of community building, inclusion, and the historical legacy of segregation. So, of course, women are going to have, you know, 33% high depression after giving birth because of all of the legacy that is just put upon us on on top of, of course, the worry of, of raising a child. I mean, at the end of the day, people ask me, well, when are you going to run federally? When are you going to run provincially? When I'm done raising my kid because that sadly is a big thing in indigenous world after all of the governmental policies that have been forced upon us. And because the child welfare is still so broken, we still aren't at that place where we can uh, go and just have, have our kid and raise our child freely. So anyway, that's, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that as well. Um, there's a lot of conversations about, um, the provincial election coming up, I want to encourage Indigenous to run. I want to encourage um, a lot of women to run. Uh, we have a Campaign 101 workshop coming up with Equal Voice. And I'm just a follower of Equal Voice. I'm not in, involved at all with that um, organization. It's, uh, you know, it's very much run by a small group of people. Uh, Ask Her was somewhat involved as well. Uh, and that was that's a small, small group of people that are, are taking care of that. But, you know, for me, as somebody who wants to see structural change, I mean, ultimately, I talk about structural racism, structural sexism, structural isms every single day. You can't change it unless you change that mentality within the governments. So and we're seeing huge shifts federally for against racism and um, sexism because we have that type of leadership. But, you know, we, we have to keep building on that. Women are ridiculously qualified to run for politics, but there's so many barriers in place. Like, I mean, for me, you know, the legacy of child apprehension or, or the legacy of uh, losing custody of a child because you're Indigenous, like, these are real issues to me in my personal journey. And for me to be able to raise my daughter, like, I just want to break that cycle and just say, I have my child who's actually raised by, you know, her her mother. That's a big deal to me. Um 
and that's not an issue for most people. But even for other women, other mothers, of course, you know, childhood and um, having their babies, that's part of their decision to run or not as well. So I don't want to, you know, downplay other people's experiences at all. Um, yeah, so provincial election is coming up. A lot of candidates are being looked at. A lot of nomination races are happening. Nomination races are what uh, you do within a party. So, like, for example, um, the NDP, the UCP, right now they have uh, their nomination battles going on. So if you are interested in running, now's the time to get involved. Uh, some of the places are already starting to just say, hey, this is our candidate. Um in our area, so I, I live what will now be Calgary East, we have uh, Prab Gill was our former UCP representative for this area, but with the boundary change, he, he won't be at all in my um, my area, and it will be taken over by the existing MLA, Robin Luff. Robin Luff is uh, with the NDP, and the UCP is going to have their nomination meeting here very shortly. And uh, the people that are running, there's quite a few candidates. And I remember seeing Andre Chabot, our former counselor for this area, he's going to be running and uh, for the UCP. So it'll be interesting to see what happens within that nomination battle. Although um, because he's a former counselor, I would imagine he will probably get that. So you know, we have Andre Chabot and Robin Luff running against each other here in Calgary East alone, uh, which will be a hell of a battle within itself because Andre Chabot is well known, uh, former councillor of Ward 10, uh, known for being um, conservative. And then uh, Robin Luff, I mean, she's been doing some great work as a newly elected NDP. And I think a lot of people are quite happy with the way uh, Rachel Notley are, is is uh, doing the work that they're doing. But uh, the other thing is our area has a lot of uh, working class people. So um, I know for me, you know, I was raised in a union house and uh, that matters a lot to people. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here in Calgary East um, with those two dynamics at play. So yeah, I just want to encourage people to run. I think it's important to understand, you know, you may have self-doubts, but you know, Ralph Klein was a drunk. Um, he didn't, I, I don't even know if he finished high school. We've had a premier who was a football player. You know, like, don't doubt who you are and what you know and your experience because your lived experience is worth running alone. So please, um, especially for Indigenous people, we have unique perspectives, unique perspectives on segregation, unique perspectives on racism and uh, structural issues. And at the end of the day, for me, um, we have the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. And in order for even this one that we've been talking about all week, number 80, to be implemented, we still need people to be working at the provincial level in order to implement that. This literally could be a talking point for the election where you ask your candidates hey, the federal government is going to put this um, statutory holiday out. What is your position on that? And are you going to be a part of implementing it in the province? Because if they can't answer that, then they don't know what they're talking about for it with Indigenous issues. And it's really sad. There's only 94 calls to action. So get working on that if you're a politician to learn those things. Um, and the United Nations Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People. Like You should know those things. So thanks so much for listening to uh, my podcast for today. 
I want to talk about so many other things. There's a really great tweet about uh, the latch keys that are um, being showcased about Indian residential schools, how these kids, they made them at uh, St. Anne's in order to just get food in Canloops. It was a Cooper Island Indian uh, residential school. You know, there are amazing tweets out there if you're willing to do some, you know, searching on Indigenous issues. And I, I just strongly implore everybody to to do that work. And thank you for listening to my podcast. I, I appreciate all of the comments, um, feedback that I get, whether in real life or on Twitter. So my Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where I'd love to get your pledge and support. I want to thank the previous donors, uh, Kenna, Sharon, Diana, Judy, and Nathan for showing their support. I value what um, you have to say, so that support really matters to me. If you can't afford to give but listen in, just give me that message. Send your comments and tweets to... Oh, and we're also on iTunes and Google Play. And lastly, I want to thank my husband, Darcy, for you know being my production and editor. I've had a musician say he has really great skills uh, with sound quality and I'm really grateful for all of the work that he does and the support and love that he's shown for decades now. So, so thanks for listening and I can't wait to talk to you again.